0: EHS on Tap. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Dr. Tim Ludwig, professor at Appalachian State University and author of the book Dysfunctional Practices That Kill Your Safety Culture. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Tim Ludwig, professor at Appalachian State University and author of the book Dysfunctional Practices That Kill Your Safety Culture. Welcome, Dr. Ludwig.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay.
0: Thanks for being here. And um as we uh, before we get started, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about
1: yourself and uh, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. I uh, I've been doing uh, the behavioral safety game for some um, almost thirty five years now. I got my uh, doctorate at Virginia Tech under Scott Geller, who many of your listeners probably know about, uh, actively caring uh, people-based safety and the like. Uh, learned uh, learned a craft from him. After that, I went into um, uh, kind of a postdoc with industrial engineers at Virginia Tech, and they had a really big, uh, boy, I think a $10 million grant from the Department of Energy. And we were studying the management systems of the new production reactor project. It was like the Manhattan Project for the modern age, creating the new tritium bomb. Oh, so it was wow. kind of heady times there yeah. in my early 30s. And um, the piece broke out. And I got a chance uh, then to kind of go into their consulting arm, and uh, that's when I started working with the quality improvement, performance improvement, uh, the predecessors to like Lean Six Sigma. I was a really big uh, fan of Deming, W. Edwards Deming, at the time. So I see, I saw him like three or four times. Got to talk to him personally. Really influenced, uh, really influenced uh, my approach. So from a psychology standpoint, you know, I'm a behaviorist, uh, so I'm a student of B. F. Skinner. Um, I like to say I don't I don't I'm a psychologist, but I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. I care what you do, mm-hmm. because that's what's going to get you hurt. Right. You yeah, yeah. get hurt with a bad thought. So uh, behaviorist on that point. But but uh, the industrial engineers and in Deming taught me uh, systems. And so I got to practice systems improvement until the safety world kind of brought me back in because I've continued my research in safety. Um so way back, you know the whole time i 've been um doing academic research, scholarly research, uh, writing books like this one, and uh getting grants and doing all kinds of stuff so my my research was getting fairly well known out there, so the safety world brought me in and uh I remember calling Scott on one occasion I was up in Newfoundland working with a client and said, Scott, I finally get it there 's a mission here we 're trying to we 're trying to keep people from getting hurt and so uh, we uh, we uh, had a transition there, went fall in uh, my energies and, and uh, focus on safety and, and really look back. Nice.
0: Well, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about your book. I mean, it's been out for uh, since 2018, but obviously it's still uh, super relevant. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, sort of what the book's about.
1: It's one of those things that you, you got to get something out of your head before you feel like you put it to bed. And uh, so Dysfunctional practices was that book. Um, you know, I do a number of keynote speeches, and I tried to try to create a new new speech every year. And I had a speech called uh, "You Can't Fix Stupid," mm-hmm. and it uh, it was it was really popular. And I knew that was the one that really stuck. I really enjoyed doing it. Obviously, uh, Ron White, the comedian, coined "You Can't Fix Stupid," um, so I had to call it something else. And as I started writing it, I realized that what I was trying to do is write a book for a lot of the leaders that I've come across uh, in my career who, you know, ask about why did this person do this stupid thing and you know, what's wrong with them? I just don't understand. They're really, really frustrated. So, you know, I kind of wrote the book saying, you know, that the, the people, the people that work for you are a product of your behavior, a product of the culture you've built, a product of the systems you've built. And it really is a letter to them, if you will, right? Uh, here are some dysfunctional practices. Before you start down a behavioral path, before you start down, uh, you know, really improving your safety systems, let's let's take a close look at how you treat people and how you interact with them, and then it gives me a chance after that piece to do a little bit of primer into behavior analysis, into a behavioral safety approach, uh, to the point where, um, you know, I I think someone who's finished reading the book, you know, has has their first steps, their first steps into that path.
0: Uh, and obviously, uh, the last two years have been pretty insane with the pandemic, but, um, (laughs) how is it, what have you learned about safety culture just from the last two years? Because, you know, obviously, uh, there has been seemingly a more of a focus on it, but, you know, are people actually, uh, you know, learning?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a very interesting couple of years. It really, it really showed whether or not you had a strong safety culture, right? Because obviously, uh, covid hit our culture strong in uh, the states and, and in other countries where, you know, we saw people calling it a, calling it a myth or mm. uh, refusing to wear masks. And, and uh, certainly everybody has to fall along their own spectrum, but, you know, here we got a diversity of opinion around something that dis, that deserves action, especially when you're in a, you know, in a an industrial facility, uh, warehouse or otherwise, and working closely with folks. So, you know, you, you really kind of uncovered, you know, how, how closely folks work together. And what, uh, at the beginning, uh, a lot of us behavioral folks, I, I work with a not-for-profit called the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies, check them out at behavior.org, mm-hmm. and they, uh, and we have a commission for behavioral safety, and I have a number of other uh, folks that have uh, their doctorates in the area and are, are some of the folks that have the best practices out there. And, you know, we got together, and we put out, you know, here, here, are the behavioral approach to to COVID prevention. And uh, a lot of my clients and a lot of folks out there that I, that I kind of study, you know, put, uh, put COVID related behaviors uh, front and center and, and put the behavior management techniques to, to get them underway. And then, you know, when I start talking to you know, other EHS executives and, uh, chatting with folks on podcasts and stuff, uh, there's a lot of, you know, outside the traditional behavioral safety. You know, anything you do to change behavior, that yeah. counts. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, getting a nursing staff and meeting people at uh, meeting people at the gate in their car and uh, the different communications that went on, and, and it's kind of an invigorating time to watch. I have a annual safety summit up here in my little hamlet of Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State University uh, that um, we've been going, it's our eighth year in September. Uh for those two years, we were virtual, and that first year, I, I brought in a lot of friends and experts, and we did, you know, behavioral approaches to COVID uh, prevention and did a big virtual session, and uh, we were quite amazed with the, the amount of reach it had and the and the amount of people that were interested in it. It, uh, it was certainly a, an impactful time, I, I, you know, to reflect on it, you know, what's come out of it. I, I, I've been out there in the world pretty frequently in the last uh, year. Uh, consulting and speaking and otherwise, <laughs> I don't know if anything's really changed. I don't know yeah. what you think, but, uh, you know, we're on the other side of it and we're all kind of shaking it off. I feel but, like we're uh, talking about it more at least, but, you know. You that's know, true. You know, I don't true. know if the uh, if the results are borne out yet. I don't know if it's too early or. Um, what I have seen is, uh, so I do a talk on um, the, uh, the, the kind of neuroscience behind uh, behavioral safety. And I adapted that over the uh, last couple of years to uh, I call it a neural behavioral approach to wellness, because uh, a lot of companies that that are part of the Cambridge Center and a lot of companies I consult with and a lot of people I talk to are really focused on wellness now, really broadening the safety's perspective. It's always been EHS or, you know, and health is in the middle. But Mm -hmm. now they're they're really starting to consider mental health. I mean, seriously considering it, not just not just calling it out. Uh, There's a company I just talked to uh, the principal this morning, uh, a large general contractor in England. Uh, Their name is Coste, and they're one of our Cambridge Center sites. Um, They have adopted a mental health first aid process. They they realize that uh, their construction workers are four times more likely to commit suicide. Um, than than the general population, and they they consider that you know part of their you know part of their responsibility to try to avoid, and so they put together a very healthy very healthy and um and, and measurable uh, they have evidence that it works this this mental health program that they have and they they. Over the last, I guess, three years, they're starting right before COVID, but, you know, they got they got construction managers and supervisors openly talking about their own struggles with anxiety or depression or um, uh, substance abuse, uh, marital problems, stuff like that. And, and they're trained to become first aid, the mental health first aid. So if I'm you a know, construction worker or engineer or something and I'm going through my own stuff, I have somebody who's already talked about it and I can go talk to confidentially, and then uh, if I need services, I can get it. And, uh, I, yeah, maybe maybe COVID had something a little bit to do with that because we all kind of dealt with our own little mental health problems. I mean,
0: definitely, uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot more about total worker health and psychological safety sort of buzzwords like that. So uh, much more, I mean, if you think about sort of past generations where, you know, you just never talked about that kind of stuff, you know, it was just it was yeah. your own business and nobody had to know about it. Uh, people are a little, a lot more open now about you know. Obviously, th- those things can have an effect on you know how you do your work, how you do your job, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of data on that kind of distraction or stressor in your life impacting you know the the actions you take on the job that puts you at risk. And you know, that would be would be a good line of research. I right? we got some grants uh, here at the university through NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. I might reach out to them and ask that question. Uh, another uh, Scott Geller um, doctoral uh, student uh, named Tommy Cunningham is, was doing some of that research in NIOSH with small businesses and construction and stuff. So uh, it's out there, and, and but there's just not a lot of research behind it. So, you know, the research community maybe kind of falls behind what's really needed out there, but uh, companies like Costain and others are, are trying to get ahead of it in real active ways.
0: So... Um- Talking about safety culture again, you know, what what would you say constitutes a
1: good healthy safety culture? So, you know, I'm a psychologist and so I've been trained in um, in trying to get my arms around words that don't mean anything. We call them constructs, you know, Mm -hmm. empathy. What the heck is empathy? (laughs) Psychological safety. What is that? They don't really mean anything. We call them constructs because we just kind of constructed a definition around it and we're all trying to understand where it is. We, uh, and so, you know, I really started getting into culture probably like 10 years ago as I dove into safety and the term was being used a lot. And I have to be honest with you, I couldn't get my arms around it, you know, a shared values and beliefs. I mean, really, (laughs) do you know what my values are? How do you share a value? And maybe they neurologically values don't exist. You know, you get down to the the mind. So I had to come up with a new definition of it that 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 is behavioral so we know when it's happening behavioral so we can we can uh manage it right we can change it and uh, something that everybody can agree is happening or not so my definition of culture is people talking to each other about safety period let I me mean, think about it if if you have a worker coaching another worker when they see them take risks when they see another worker take risks, you say hey wait a second jay you know let, let's uh, let's stop let's figure out a better way mm-hmm. uh, does that help safety yeah is it yeah. sharing yeah what's happening talking right uh, you know a supervisor who who takes some time during a free shift meeting and talks about the hazards we're going to encounter today same thing right sharing what's happening talking a leader when she uh when she asks uh, her subordinates about the safety implications of a budget decision she's going to make. What's happening there? Talking, yeah. and it goes the other way too. It goes the other way. You know, a worker saying, "Hey, Jay, don't don't spend all that time on that. We're trying to get this project done. You know, we got contractors coming. Skip that. That it hurts safety, right? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> Talking, and you know, I could go up the line. Supervisor pushing production. Uh, uh, a top uh, a top executive saying <sighs> that uh, you know we need to realign safety under HR. <laughs> something right. like that right um it's it boils down to talking and yeah. you can see you can experience people talking you know if it's happening or not and you also know if uh, it's not happening and it's also very functional it it changes the way you approach safety all most safety management systems most safety management things that folks do are just a version of talking i mean think about like Close call reporting, what's happening there? You're getting people to kind of talk about right. what almost happened to them. Uh, audits, inspected, you know, these are all forms of communication and talking. So, you know, to boil it down to that, boil the culture down to that, it stops becoming some uh, rosy, hoity-toity kind of term that all managers nod their heads and say they understand. Right, right. But in reality, they don't. And then you go, okay, what are you going to do about it? And Nobody knows what to do about it. But if you define it as talking, first of all, you know if it's happening. If it's a behavior, which it is, you can change it, and you can build a strategy around getting people to talk. So that's what we do in, in, in traditional behavioral safety, where you, know, you do peer-to-peer observations, and and they they give each other feedback. Bam! They're talking about safety. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the safety management systems that you may find in a lot of companies where you do a a pre-shift meeting or a job joint uh, walkabout or, you know, managers getting involved. It's just, there's some different forms of talking. So, you know, when, when it comes down to it, just focus on that. Yeah. You'll get, you'll get the results.
0: Are you seeing when, when you talk to uh, safety leaders about, about these concepts, is it, is it getting through to them? Are they kind of. Oh, uh, they love it. They love yeah. It.
1: Again, because they did, they have no idea how to change a culture. Gives they them something tangible. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's something operational, something they can operate on, something yeah. they can go do. It's, you know, it's not just everybody going out and be nice to each other. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's changing the conversation, getting the conversations happening and changing the conversations. And you know, if you're going to share something like a value or belief or blah, 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 you know, which, again, I don't care how you feel. I don't care how you think. I don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best way to do it is talk about it. Believe me, they're talking now. Yeah. And, all the folks listening, your employees are talking now. About safety, or maybe about the ball game, or maybe about how much uh, it sucks to work there. It's happening. Yeah, yes. you know, those conversations need to change. So, yeah, I think uh, I don't think I know uh, when when I give that speech or I have those personal conversations, a light turns on, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can sit down and go, okay, let's look at your let's look at your safety management systems. Let's look at your you know the kind of things that that uh, influence talking, and let's let's adapt them based on that. Right. That's the core thing. If we just get them talking, everything else will kind of fall into place.
0: Um, so what do you say when you get asked, you know, why do why are people taking these dysfunctional shortcuts
1: around safety? What do you kind of uh, <laughs> what do you tell them? Uh, you, me and every human out there are a product of their history. Right. I mean, by the time you got to talk to me or I, t- I talked to you between God and your parents, you're already shaped. man. <laughs> Not much I'm going to do. Right. Uh, but, you know, you spend a better part of your life uh, after, you know, you become of age working. So you get shaped in those environments. And what were those environments growing up? They, they probably had a boss that yelled at you. They probably had peers that uh, thought badly of the boss. They probably had labeling and blaming going on. And so then, you know, you work your way up to a supervisor. I have a chapter in the book um, where I talk about how a supervisor gets shaped to Mm -hmm. get these dysfunctional practices. So, you know, Jay, like you're 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 an operator and you finally worked your way out of the hourly and you got the salary position as a new supervisor. Right. And You want to be that that. Uh, supervisor that that supports their folks and are as nice to them and right. create a good environment and stuff. And, and you start out like that. So why do you end up all cranky in about a half year? <laughs> it's because uh, we don't understand variance. Going back to W. Edwards Deming, you know, your and my performance goes up and down over time. And uh, some days you nail it, right? Just out of out of the clear blue, you just you just nail it, and your performance is off the charts, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say one day you were you're just you're at your machine, and the guard just keeps falling off, and you're getting really sick of it, and you took it upon yourself to go get it, you go fabricate a new one, and you bring it back, and you fabricated a couple more for other folks, and then you you know this your whole team got new guards, and nobody asked you to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And then your supervisor comes along and says, "Oh, Jay, that was awesome." you're great and you know he even has a stand up and hey look at everybody joke what did and everything like that right but if that supervisor would have done nothing what would happen to your behavior it would have gone back to normal right yeah but and what from the supervisor's perspective you're you did this great thing he he reinforces you right he wants everybody to feel good about it and things like that and then the next day he comes and looks at you and you don't have your safety goggles on <laughs> and What? what after doing that a couple times, and it's an illusion, it's not real, you're not, he's not causing this, but he thinks he is, he's going, this praise thing doesn't work. <laughs> Every time I praise somebody for doing good, they, they suck afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Which isn't the case. You just had an awesome day and we, we can analyze that. But then you had that bad day. Right. You know, you, you got, you're late getting your children to school and you're in a big, big, hurry. Right. You get to work, uh, the, the previous shift didn't put away their tools and you take this big shortcut and it, uh, it gets really close, a close call. Right. And supervisor sees it and then chides you and gets all over your case. And, uh, you know, if nothing would have happened, if, if you wouldn't have seen it, right. what would you have been the next day? You've been back to normal. Right. right. So the next day, you go back to normal. You're not this crappy safety person. You're, you're normal Jay. But what's his perception? I just tried it, Jay, and he got better. Right. And so you know, the, 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 you get shaped really early on in your in your you know supervision career. Uh, not only from modeling from the past, because everybody's treating you that way in the past, but then you start practicing those same things, and it just it just keeps going. Call it negative reinforcement. My next book is mm-hmm. going to be on reinforcement called Kids on Rebar. I'm going to spend next winter writing it and uh, talk about different kinds of reinforcement. And, you know, anything that increases behavior is a reinforcer. But when you get sold it, you know, you got to wear those damn glasses, Jay, or I'll slap, you know, I'll, I'll slap a citation on you. And then you start wearing the safety goggles. That's called negative reinforcement. You're not doing it for something that you desire. You're doing it to avoid something negative and a lot of dysfunctional practices are based on that and you get this perception that negative reinforcement works yeah. but what else does it what else does it reinforce people talking about you people talking bad about safety the shortcuts the pencil whipping all that stuff goes behind it so yeah we just get shaped yeah our world out there
0: there's a, i don't know if you're a sports fan but there's definitely parallels with like kind of old school old school coaches who are really like you know hard asses and they you know they're yelling at their players and they get kind of a short-term boost in performance but after a year or two you know the players just tune them out because they you know they yelled at so much you're just like all right i'm just gonna do whatever i do and
1: you know yeah and 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 you don't the thing is when you when you threaten uh but you don't follow up with a threat after a while the, the threat means nothing right it doesn't discriminate anymore you know you compare that to like phil jackson who uh, you right. know, I think we all would agree in basketball is uh, one of the great coaches. They had some great players, obviously, yeah. but one of the great coaches. And it, you kind of look at his method of reinforcement. You know, it's one thing for a for a supervisor or a leader to come and pat you on the head and say "Good job." You know that that okay, yeah, you get a little bit out of that. A, a real leader creates a reinforcing environment by asking people what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Jay, you know, how do you think we should approach this task? And then you tell us how to approach this task. I maybe coach you on it. And then you go and execute it successfully. Then that good job means a lot more to you, right? right. Or you, you do it successfully without getting injured. It was your idea. Then that gets reinforced. You know, so it doesn't mean going around patting people on the head. A lot of what we learned in the quality revolution and you still get some lean stuff is asking the, the people, you know, people who are who are at the at the uh coal wall as they say right
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, In lean manufacturing you go to where the value is created in safety you go to where the risks are taken because the the front line knows where they are knows the risks knows the hazards knows uh the attitudes knows all that kind of stuff and if we're not including them you know th- th- we can't create a reinforcing environment we can't and all we have is a set of rules that we go around griping about and th- that's assuming that Safety professionals can come up with every single rule that's going to keep someone safe. That's not the case in a changing right. environment. COVID proved that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see things uh, improving and do you, are you optimistic that, you know, this is starting to sink in, these kind of new approaches are, are, are going to be carried out more and more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the Cambridge Center, we accredit the best in practice behavioral safety programs in the world. Um, you know, we we go in where we have uh, scientists involved, we have people involved in the practices and stuff, and we go do really hard reviews and give them strong feedback and the like. And uh, part of what we do is grab their data mm-hmm. and you know showing injury over time compared to the industry average to show that their program and and other stuff you know the company's doing. Uh, has decreased injuries below the industry average, and yeah, I've been doing that since 2005, and it's getting harder and harder because the industry average has dropped mm-hmm. really low. And, and so you start asking, okay, so what caused that? And you know, traditional safety, you know, we had the big drop initially because safety became became a profession, and you had people who knew what they were doing, and you start putting guards up and putting rules right. in place. Then you get, then you know, we've had this continuous decline in uh, personal safety uh with with a myriad of different uh, approaches safety management systems behavioral safety and otherwise and, but now, you know now we're getting to that you know you know OSHA area of one and and getting incrementally better is not that uh not that easy you know the closer yeah. you get to zero it's harder but uh we we realized that serious injuries and fatalities sifs haven't haven't moved that right and mm-hmm. so I think I think when it comes to personal safety, about every company, unless it's a smaller company mom and pop or, you know, something that's not involved in the safety profession, I think most of professional safety folks that you see out there would read dysfunctional practices and say, that's it. You know, most of the most of the people that email me and call me and have read the book have been at being in the safety game for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just basically they said, I, I felt like I wrote this book, you know. <laughs> So I think I think the, the, the companies that have professional safety folks have, have really turned, and I do feel very positive about the future for them. Now we're turning our attention on serious injuries, and fatalities. A lot of smart people thinking about it. A lot of people claim they got the the magic pill, but mm-hmm. you know, I haven't seen the data. I haven't seen the data on it yet. Um, so yeah, very positive. Now let's take the, let's, let's take on the bigger fish.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Ludwig, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, Jay. Yeah, and uh, thanks for all you guys do with the magazine, and I uh, hope uh, hope uh, the podcast continues to be successful. And uh, I would invite folks to uh, come visit me at safety-doc.com. That's D-O-C, like safety doctor or documents or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, come come be part of the community. We have a pretty big community. Uh, we, we chat with each other. We share stories. We share challenges. And uh, we'd like everybody that's listening to be a part of that. Safety-doc. That's, that's
0: talking again. So more talking. That's good. There you go. More talking is better,
1: right? All right. Thank you.
0: That wraps up episode 118 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.